Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi there, Shelly. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. This week, we are talking with Dana Barron from Wellness Lately, and she's going to be talking to us about body image after having a baby and how to let go of like all the patriarchy crap around body image and women's bodies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very good. Which also we don't talk enough about. So I'm excited about this conversation. Yeah, very good. But first, let's do our favorite of the week. All righty. What you got? I picked something that is just so simple, but I love them. And it's my earrings, which, and the only reason I'm picking this and talking about them is I really get compliments on these all the time. They're leather, they're lightweight, they're super soft, buttery leather, they're long feathers. They're and gorgeous. I have been wearing them most days for like three years, four years, most days. I would say like almost seven out of seven, maybe I've worn different earrings five times. Mm -hmm. And I get compliments on them all the time. And they were literally $10 on Etsy. And I never, ever wear anything else. They're just, they're comfortable. They're lightweight. They're soft. They don't hurt. I don't get irritated with them on ever. And I love cheap. And they also came in like two days. Nice. Yeah. I, just I love Etsy. I do too. I love that Etsy. is where I got the majority of my boob decor and stuff. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Because you can always find boob stuff on Etsy. No. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. My <laughs> favorite of the week is a book. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah. The Eye of the World, which is also now an Amazon series. Oh, so it's definitely like sci-fi fantasy genre, yeah. which I like. I like all genres except for romance, Blech. And, <laughs> but it was really good. It did take me a while to get through and I would have liked to see a little bit more character development throughout the book, but it's part of a 14 book series. So I guess the character development help it happens later. Nice. But I did watch the series too, and it was really good. Very good. Okay. Let's move on to our question of the week. Question was submitted through Instagram and this parent is asking, does breastfeeding really help you lose weight? Well, it never helped me. <laughs> we just looked at each other. I, know. Like, <laughs> I actually did not lose any weight until after I weaned. Question. <laughs> Loaded for some and for some, no. Yeah. It just depends on your metabolism, how you're, you know, and you burn an extra 300 to 500 calories a day breastfeeding, but you're also very hungry when you breastfeed. So if you're making up for that, like hungerness by eating McDonald's every day or something, right. you're probably not going to drop the weight. Right. And the other thing is you don't want to lose weight too fast when you're breastfeeding too, because that can impact your milk supply. Right. Right. Yeah. Allow it to happen as it would. Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, you burn 300 to 500 calories a day. Don't exactly rely on that to be like a weight loss pill for you. Yeah. And we don't necessarily want that to happen. Nine months on, nine months off. Yeah, or years, but whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it just comes in cycles. It comes in I cycles. <laughs> um, so next up, we'll be talking to Dana. Very good. I'm so excited for this week's guest, Dana Barron. She is an intuitive eating and body image coach, and she is also the co-host of the Wellness Lately podcast. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. I spent all morning signing up for your classes and <laughs> your like binge eating guide or intuitive eating guide. And I requested to join your Facebook group too. Oh, and I, I subscribed to your podcast. So I'm super Thank excited. You. This topic kind of speaks to every person and every part of their life, but I know the insecurities can be really high in the postpartum period because your body is just like completely changed and will basically never be the same again. Mm -hmm. 
So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Like you said, I'm the co-founder of Wellness Lately, my business partner, Bridget Shannon, and I. We essentially help women stop feeling crazy around food, and we help them heal their body image and learn to take care of themselves in a way that isn't dieting and binging and emotional eating, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, and I came to this work through my own struggles. I think a lot of women can relate to being professional dieters for most of their lives and slowly eroding their self-trust around food and their connection to their body, you know, sort of tried every diet under the sun, not realizing that all of these efforts to control food and punish myself with exercise were actually eroding my body image um, because that's what the research shows us it does. So I found my way to intuitive eating and it just clicked for me. Like it was what I had been missing the whole time. And I think a lot of women come to intuitive eating from this like deep knowing that their relationship with food is not right, right? Like Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be this hard. We shouldn't feel this emotionally charged around food. We don't understand why we can't just be the woman who can eat when she's hungry and stop when she's full and food's just like not an issue. Like that's Mm -hmm. such a foreign concept for most women. So yeah, so I came to this work and I got certified in intuitive eating coaching and body image coaching. And now we run a podcast and coaching programs and all the things to help women heal their relationship with food and their bodies. They can just feel normal, move on with their lives, stop counting almonds. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I don't want to say that the patriarchy is responsible for all of our problems. I'm I'm comfortable saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) You know, not maybe not all, but maybe (laughs) 99.9% just that we're all facing. Bridget and I get very sweaty and frustrated Mm -hmm. when we talk about the patriarchy, but yes, it's a a key component for sure. Yeah. Whenever I talk about it too, I start the hand thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But it's hard because I feel like, you know, you just had a baby and you're not looking the way that you used to look, or you're not even feeling the way that you used to feel like I remember, especially in those first few days after birth, your body just feels kind of alien to you. Like you're moving in ways you never moved. Your breasts feel fuller than they've ever felt. And you're leaking and you're bleeding. And then you go through um, your Instagram feed and there's all these posts of all these like nutrition coaches and fitness people that just make you feel really crappy about yourself. Yeah, that I like to call the bounce back narrative. And it's uh, an extremely toxic one. I think, you know, you mentioned the patriarchy and there are all these narratives in our lives as women that we believe we're supposed to live by. And we don't realize that they're the things disrupting our relationship with ourselves. Like if we had a culture where when women got their periods, it was celebrated instead of like hidden and taboo to talk about, right? If the postpartum period, we had actual support, right? Like mm-hmm. there's people like you are rare for women's postpartum experience, right? Like having that real support and just not subscribing to the idea that we are supposed to look the same way our entire lives as women, right? Mm-hmm. Like our culture, the media, what we see is a very narrow version of what women are supposed to look like, right? So when Mm -hmm. we're exposed to this constantly and when we have tabloids and goop and women's health telling us how to bounce back after childbirth, we believe that there's something wrong with us when our bodies don't. And for some women, they just do, right? Some women just look exactly the same (laughs) seven days after giving birth. I was not one of them. And I don't Mm -hmm. believe that's the majority of women's experiences, but It's this underlying belief, right, that the reality is that women's bodies constantly change our entire lives. That's like the only thing that is constant is the change of our bodies, right? But our culture leads us to believe that we're supposed to be this one white, thin, able-bodied, cisgendered, blonde, you know, perky, healthy thing Mm -hmm. um, all the time. So when we fall short of that visually, we get really upset and we beat ourselves up. And then we turn to things like the toxic diet cycle to try to fix this perceived problem that isn't actually a problem if we zoomed out. Particularly difficult piece of the postpartum time is that not only do we have very few resources in which to actually take care of ourselves, right? And when we're feeling burnt out, overwhelmed, run down, stressed, exhausted, when we feel physically worse in our bodies, it makes it more difficult to feel good about our bodies, right? Like our body Mm -hmm. image and how we physically feel is connected. So we're very vulnerable in this time, right? (laughs) So it makes sense that this painful body image would take a nosedive, right? And then on top of that, 
we're inundated with these messages that we should be able to just hit the gym, bounce back, start running at six weeks, whatever it is, right? So we're just constantly comparing ourselves to this, these just like bullshit, imaginary, arbitrary standards that are Mm. not true for any of us, right? Mm. So I think that's why the postpartum period is so difficult. And the fact that like any change to our bodies, like you could be in an accident, right? And lose a limb, right? Or you could get really sick and, you know, potentially lose a lot of weight, right? And any of these drastic changes to our physical bodies and the way they look can be a body image disruption, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that, I mean, there's nothing more (laughs) jarring than that experience of giving birth and recovering from it. So you're right. You do feel alien, right? You just don't feel as connected to your body. Right. I remember reading somewhere and I'm not sure where I read it or even heard it, but someone was saying, you know, just like everything in life, your body goes through seasons. And like you were saying, it was not meant to stay the same and it's meant to change and evolve and then maybe go back a little bit. And that really stuck with me because that totally makes sense. Yeah. It's just the nature of having a human body, right? It's always Mm -hmm. changing every single day. Our cells are regenerating. And there's so many different things that can impact our weight. And I think our weight and um, the tone of our bodies is usually what women focus on the most. And it just, if we can allow ourselves to just be human and recognize that our bodies are just going to change throughout the course of our lives, it takes away this level of resistance we have to it and making it wrong. Like if you think you're supposed to look like you're 16 your entire life, of course, you're going to be upset when you don't, right? Mm. But if you never subscribe to that narrative because you just don't believe in it because it's just not biology, it gets easier to accept the natural fluctuations in your body throughout your life. Mm, 100%. And I'm kind of one of the people that your services are like made for because Mm. I have tried like every diet under the sun and yo-yo dieting and having my weight go up and down and up and down. And it's just it's exhausting really. Mm -hmm. And it does take a lot out of you. And I don't think people realize how much, how exhausting it is until they kind of climb out of that hole, because it does feel like this weight is lifted off of you that you never even knew you were carrying. Yeah. I mean, I, we believe it's designed that way. (laughs) Going back to the patriarchy, like that no, uh, Naomi Campbell quote that dieting is the greatest political sedative of all time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, a hungry, tired, distracted population is a tractable one, right? And when we speak to women all the time in our coaching programs and just on podcasts and stuff, and it's like the amount of brain space that it's taken up by counting almonds, by calculating macros, by filling out my fitness pal, by downloading meal plans, by standing in front of the mirror, beating yourself up. Just the sheer amount of time and energy and resources that we waste in our lives trying to force our bodies to be something they never wanted to be Mm -hmm. is an enormous amount, right? And we always have clients um, when they kick off with us, get started with this diet history worksheet. Because dieting has this like great false diet hope, right? If you just follow the meal plan, if you just cut these things out, if you just do what I do, you're going to look like Jillian Michaels and then your whole life is going to be better. You're going to be confident and successful and worthy of love and pleasure and resources and fun. And like, if I could just get this one thing right, then the rest of my life will fall into place, right? And we've been taught this by multi-billion dollar industry from day one. Like I'm 39 years old. My mom is a baby boomer. Like diet culture proliferated in Mm. her lifetime. So we grew up not like fish, not even knowing what water was. It's just all around us. Like, of course I'm a woman and I want to be spending so much time and energy trying to be thin. Like what? (laughs) Like, of Mm -hmm. course, right? 17 magazine when I was, you know, 13 years old was telling me about how cucumbers will fill you up so that you won't be hungry and all these things. It's like, it's really hard to unsee it once you recognize it. And it's really hard to go back to not questioning, wow, like how much of my life force have I funneled into trying to be smaller, Mm -hmm. right? And we know from the research and all of our lived experience (laughs) that 97% of diets fail, 95, 97% of dieters gain the weight back and then more right? We Mm -hmm. have to look at long-term and then five years. And most women that we work with, they're like, oh yeah, I thought that first diet worked. And then four years later, when I'm binge eating and I gained all the weight back, then I go back to a new diet and I think that's going to fix it. And the whole time 
we're distracted, we're not showing up fully in our lives, we're dreading going to dinner with girlfriends because either it's going to make us break our diet or we're afraid that people are going to judge us for having gained weight, right? So we start to socially isolate. Mm -hmm. We don't feel confidence to show up fully in our lives because we've been taught to hate our bodies and spend all of our attention on trying to fix that. Right. Because instead we can be using all that energy to, I don't know, topple fix, the patriarchy, fix climate change, <laughs> put out the literal fire that is our mm-hmm. world. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Do you think, because I am someone who I do really enjoy working out and going to the gym mm. and I have definitely gone from the gyms where you're in class and the instructor's yelling at you, like, come on, don't you want that bikini body? Which always made me feel sick to my stomach, mm-hmm. even when I did quote unquote, want that bikini body. And now I'm in a gym that I feel comfortable in because it's totally based on how you feel and you, how strong you are. Um, it's a lot of like Olympic lifting and stuff. And I yep. like that so much better because body image is like never mentioned in that gym. It's all about like, can you do the movement? Look, you lifted heavier weight than you did before. So I guess my question is, do you think that all spaces around working out, exercising and diet are toxic, or do you think that there can be good things found in the culture? Yeah, I would say the majority still are. I think Mm -hmm. it's changing. Um, And you're right, like in your experience, like that's what the research backs up. If you look at a company like Peloton, who is prolific at this point, right? Mm -hmm. It's very clear to me, having used their app and done their classes and stuff, that they understand the research of maintaining engagement. Everyone feels how you feel when people are talking about blasting fat and burning off dinner or whatever it is. Like that toxic relationship with exercise is a diet culture perspective on exercise, right? So we don't want to do it. We don't want to punish ourselves. We don't want to compensate. We don't want to use exercise like that. So I think if these gyms were smart, (laughs) they would realize that empowering language, anything that takes you from objectifying your body, meaning like burn off the calories, tone up your ass, whatever it is, to being a human in your body, experiencing life and like being in your body, that is always going to make us want to go back and do more, right? Because it's life affirming. It feels good. You feel empowered when you're done, as opposed to feeling like you just got punished right? Nobody wants to feel that. We, we actually um, had a client recently who she was doing, she was doing great, right? Our program is about four months. Usually around the three month mark, we see people really like hitting their stride, feeling like they're putting it behind them. And she just had this like thing that was just like nagging at her. She couldn't get past. And she kept saying, I feel like I'm like 90% of the way there, but I still have these thoughts during the day. Like I still don't totally feel at peace. And then she realized that it might be her gym. And she is someone, she has a military background. She loves exercise. She gets up really early. Gym is like, she loves it, right? She's like a gym person. And she just had this intuitive hit in class one day when the instructor said something along those lines of burning things off, punishing yourself, working for your food, whatever. And she left and she never went back. And she joined a new gym that was all about empowerment and strength and feeling good in your body and taking care of yourself. And two weeks later, she was like, I think I'm ready to graduate. Like that was the thing that messaging every day was reminding me of all this shit that I've been trying to put behind me and Mm -hmm. just finding a new space that felt empowering to take care of herself. She was like, that was the thing. It was like this one little thing holding her back the whole time. And we just checked in with her after a few months after graduation. She says the same thing. So I think you're absolutely right about that. But I mean, we love fruits and vegetables. We love, we love <laughs> exercise. We love taking care of yourself. But my firm belief is that dieting and battling food in your body every day is the opposite of taking care of yourself. We can't just go from dieting to like free. We have to actually heal all of this stuff from years and years of dieting and battling ourselves. And then we can build actual health affirming habits that feel good and are actually about taking care of ourselves, but they can't be focused on weight loss. Right. You talk a lot about um, the effects of chronic dieting. Can you Mm. tell us a little bit about those? It's one of my favorite topics. You must have seen our recent reel (laughs) on it. Um, Yeah. So 
one of the biggest eye-openers for me when I was trying to heal my relationship with food, because I also was like an emotional eater, a binge eater. I was like wildly fluctuating from like organic raw vegan to like just binge eating pizza and donuts and ice cream and stuff, right? Like there was never any like chill space in between. I was either like militant or going crazy. And one of the key things for me, because I also had crushing anxiety in my mid-20s when I was most disordered with food, And what I realized, I read about this Minnesota starvation study where Ansel Keys, like a very questionable researcher, sort of like the grandfather of diet culture, right? They had to figure out how to rehabilitate people who had been starving in World War II. Mm -hmm. So in order to learn how to rehabilitate starving people, you have to take some people and work with them in a starvation state. So they kicked off this experiment with conscientious objectors to the war. So these are like robust healthy adult males. And this is also like before the proliferation of diet culture, right? So like these guys are not like dieters to begin with, right? And they put them on this very restricted diet because they needed to drastically reduce their weight in order to rehabilitate their weight. But not very long, maybe a couple months into this, like they called it a semi-starvation diet, which was actually still more food, still more calories than Weight Watchers told me in my mid-20s that I should be eating. And immediately they began to obsess about food. They became apathetic. They became moody. They became extremely emotional, right? They became obsessed with food. They became obsessed with exercise, right? Like their entire personalities changed. They were very anxious and snippy and they wound up like stealing food and sneaking off to binge eat and all these things. And like all these really crazy like psychological effects of the semi-starvation diet. And I was literally like, that's me. Like that was me when I was dieting. And if you look at this list of actual studied effects of, of a semi-starvation diet, which again is more than most women are eating when they're dieting, it's literally mind-blowing because it's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just literally not eating enough. Like this is mm-hmm. literally just what happens to even these like healthy, robust men um, when you start to restrict food, it's wild. It's really wild. Um, and I think any woman seeing that list would identify it with at least some of those effects for sure. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, most of us would. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Me, myself included. Yeah. You also talk about hitting diet rock bottom. Mm. Can you describe what that is? I can. So diet rock bottom is where you just like know deep in your soul that you can't muster the energy to go on one more diet. And um, symptoms of diet rock bottom include even just the thought of starting a diet has you like eating everything in your cupboard, right? You find yourself sort of, we call it last supper syndrome, where you're like binging the night before starting a diet, right? Done that. The yeah, of course. It's like, <laughs> well, diet starts tomorrow. I might as well finish yeah, this whole pizza my by myself, chance. right? Yeah. As you're like telling everybody at dinner while you're like scarfing everybody's <laughs> leftover. Um, yeah, last supper syndrome really uh really speaks to women's souls, I think. Also, the amount of time that you're able to actually stick to the plan is getting shorter and shorter. So like maybe you did like 28 days of Whole30 the first time and now it's like two and now you're just thinking about doing it all the time, but you can never actually make yourself do it, right? I think Mm -hmm. everybody can relate to that. You find it increasingly difficult to even lose just a few pounds. Whereas like the first diets, you could lose like so much weight really quickly and it's so easy. It just gets harder and harder. You don't have a lot of energy, inability to focus, and you're feeling that urge to socially withdraw, which I talked about before, where it's like you just don't even want to go to your cousin's wedding because you don't want anybody to see you or you don't want to go to dinner with your friends because you know it's an Italian place and you're cutting carbs and you don't want to blow your diet, right? these kind of symptoms that start to impact the rest of your life. You're obsessed with food. You think about it all the time. You feel like you can't keep certain foods in the house because you can't trust yourself around it. So you've basically totally eroded your trust around food. Things like, you know, the cookies are screaming my name from from Mm -hmm. the kitchen, right? And yeah, just like this rock bottom of just knowing deep down that like you just, you can't do it. Like if it was going to work, it would have worked by now. So those are all the symptoms of diet rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I've heard mixed things about, I mean, I think by now the science pretty clearly shows that every time you lose weight and then regain, it's like harder and harder to do that. 
Like yeah, it what, with your metabolism. Yeah, your metabolism slows and that's why it's so difficult to lose any weight at all, but so easy. Like when I was dieting, I could gain like a ton of weight in a weekend, mm-hmm. right? Just because like, just because of the binging and whatever, but it would take, you know, the whole next week to get back to normal. And that's what other clients of ours have said is like, I would go crazy every weekend and then it would take me to like Wednesday to just like feel good again. Mm -hmm. But then I knew Friday it was going to happen all over again. So it's like the cycle, right? But yeah, I mean, dieting, food restriction, it does um, tamper with your metabolism because your body fights back. Like that first diet, it's so easy to lose weight because your body's not prepared to fight for your survival, right? But every time you do it, your body's like, oh yeah, I know. Yep. Famine. Here we go. We know how to deal with this. We We know how to survive famine. We have to slow down the metabolism, make sure they don't have any energy to exercise or go about their day or focus clearly, right? And then as soon as food is available, we have to eat as much as possible. So let's numb your fullness cue so that you eat way past the point of being comfortably full because we have to pack it in when food's available, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So this is what, this is just the biological effects of dieting that we internalize as a lack of character on our part. Like we don't have the willpower. We don't have the motivation. There's something wrong with us. When in reality, this is just our bodies fighting back. Our bodies could care less if we gain weight. It, it's not um, dangerous for survival, but like you can't lose a lot of weight drastically. Your body will freak out because it just, it's more important to keep weight on your body for survival than it is to lose it. Mm-hmm. Especially in the postpartum period. Mm-hmm. Because I get questions all the time of moms who are like two, three weeks postpartum and they're like, well, is it okay to exercise while breastfeeding? Will it drop my supply? I'm starting this new diet. Oh, that like, stuff breaks my heart. Right. Just two it's, or three weeks. Like you're not even, you're still bleeding. Like yeah. the fact that we even have to do preschool drop off at that point is absurd. Mm-hmm. Like let alone trying to start a, a diet or get back to exercise right. before your body's ready. Right. And again, they're on Instagram looking at, you know, all these celebrities who three or four days postpartum are like, look, I can fit into my. I remember Heidi Klum walking in that show, like five months postpartum. And Mm -hmm. if I see one more celebrity, like showing off their abs postpartum, I'm going to scream. And even like the the British royalty too, like 48 hours after birth and they're all glammed up sitting in front of the hospital with full makeup on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, please do not expect to be able to do that or even want, why would you even want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Recover. But it's so many times that I have to explain to these parents, like, you know, you want to ask your doctor when it's okay for you to start exercising. But also if you start cutting calories, especially if you're cutting carbs, your milk supply will tank because you need carbs to make milk and you need calories to make milk. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to deliberately cut calories and starve yourself, you know, your your body's not going to have the energy to make the milk. Yeah, your body needs to heal Mm -hmm. and keep that little baby going, right? So. I mean, yeah, these are, this is what we're talking about, the toxic narratives, right? If, if we'd never been exposed to the idea that you should be thin and in the best shape of your life a month postpartum, we wouldn't be doing this to ourselves, right? If right. we really like honor the transition into motherhood in this culture, which we don't, like I said, dropping like on your, like I was on my own dropping my toddler off at preschool with like a three-day-old baby because my husband had to go back to work and there was no, you know what I mean? It's just like, I think if there was more support and like a more honestly humane transition into motherhood, we wouldn't be doing this to ourselves. Because there's also like dieting and focusing on weight is a really great distraction and dissociation tool. So when you are home with a newborn and you're exhausted and you're overwhelmed, that is harder to deal with than you know, following Weight Watchers points, right? It's like a neat and tidy solution to focus on where we think, well, if I just lose this weight, if I just get back in shape, then I'll feel better. When in reality, like it's just a shit show having a newborn and like, you know, trying to recover and and handle everything we need to handle. So it's important to remember that dieting itself, the focus on our bodies itself is a coping skill. It's a coping skill we learn because we get to not worry about all of these overwhelming things that don't have tidy answers and just focus on calculating our macros to distract ourselves. Right. Like a false sense of control. Yeah, absolutely. Like my nipples are falling off and, you know, I'm probably passing too many clots, but at least I can count my almonds and make sure yeah. that I, you know, fit the macros yeah. in. And I was one of those people too. I'm, and I don't count macros or any, I will say that I've, I've gotten better. It's a slow process for me, 
but it's you know, a slow I process refuse. for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I have had eating disorders in the past when I was a teenager yeah. and, and I have been on diets where I'm counting macros and I'm weighing all my food. And now I'm at the point where I absolutely refuse to do that. Like I'm yeah. not bringing my scale to restaurants anymore, which in hindsight, I'm like, why was I doing that? Like how yeah. odd, Yeah. but I was so terrified of like going over my macros. And, mm-hmm. and so now I, I can't because I get way too triggered and I get, yeah, you know, way too anxious. So any of I'm, that numbering or measuring or calculating can be really triggering. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And I've, and I've done Weight Watchers and I've done, I've done them all. You name it, I've done it, but yeah, same but it can be hard. And then how, so obviously you're a fan of intuitive eating based mm-hmm. on your website. Now. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what that is? Yeah. Intuitive eating, the point of it is just to eat normally again. Like it's just to reconnect to your body and have food be a non-issue. Right. So intuitive eating, like I say capitalized, right. Cause I teach the framework of intuitive eating created by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush. And it's really just a combination of instinct and emotion and rational thought where you can listen to your body's cues to take care of yourself versus diet rules, right? There's four areas of assessment of intuitive eating, which is, do I have unconditional permission to eat, right? And most people don't give themselves unconditional permission to eat, right? Where you're literally allowed to eat anything, anytime, in whatever amount, whenever you want, right? There's also eating based on internal cues versus external cues, which is really a lot of the work that Bridget and I do is helping women to reconnect to their bodies because dieting over years and decades, you're so disconnected from your body. You don't even know you're hungry until you're ravenously hungry, Mm -hmm. right? You don't even know you're full until you're absolutely stuffed. And a lot of times you don't even know what you like to eat. Because the food you do like to eat, you're so terrified of. And the food you've been eating forever, you just like think you like, right? It's all very interesting to me to watch this unfold. But then there's also eating for mostly physical reasons rather than emotional reasons. Um, Not that emotional eating is uh, a negative thing in our view. We actually think it's neutral or positive, but we're not mostly eating in response to emotions. We're mostly eating in response to physical cues. Like I'm hungry. What do I want to eat? I'm going to eat until I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, body food choice congruence, which essentially just means you eat to feel good. Like the way that you eat supports the way you want to feel in life, right? Mm-hmm. So those four things combined are what we're assessing to begin with and what we're assessing as you graduate our programs, because that really tells you, am I an intuitive eater or not, right? Mm-hmm. But there are these 10 specific principles in this framework that we lead women through to disconnect from dieting and reconnect to our body so that we can just, you know, take it or leave it when it comes to the brownies. Do I want one? Is one enough? Like it, food is just so easy and such a non-issue, which like I said, is such a massive relief when you've been dieting and obsessing about food in your body your whole life. Like Mm -hmm. most women in our culture have. Right. So where is that line drawn? And I guess this is more like a question for myself, right? Because Mm -hmm. I do have like leptin and insulin resistance. And if Mm -hmm. I eat a lot of carbs, like I'm not carb free by far, but if I eat like a bowl of pasta, I feel bloated and disgusting and uncomfortable. So if I say, okay, I don't want to eat pasta anymore. Would, would you consider that like dieting or would you consider that that connection between your body and what you eat? So most dieters think in black and white, all or nothing Mm -hmm. terms, right? So you're saying when I have a big bowl of pasta, it usually doesn't make me feel very well. So I'm going to not eat any pasta, Mm -hmm. right? So what we like to teach women to do is say, okay, eating a big bowl of pasta doesn't really feel good. Noted data point considered, right? <laughs> I, I can stop with the, I can never eat another bowl of pasta because mm-hmm. the idea that we're never going to eat another bowl of pasta is what makes us binge on pasta. So this is what we mean by all food is, a, is available. All food is allowed, I should say, not available depending on your privilege. But what, how do I want to feel, right? I'm going to eat differently on like a Saturday night date out with my husband than I am on a Tuesday morning before I get on a podcast right? Because I have a busy day ahead of me. I want to be sharp and have this conversation. I have to pick my kids up from school later. Like I try to eat during, you know, you try to match how you want to feel that day and you're empowered, right? So if you're conscious of blood sugar and you're conscious of the way that pasta makes you feel, you get to choose. Do I want to feel like shit? Maybe an amazing bowl of pasta at a really good Italian restaurant is worth it. 
and you're going to go home and you're just going to kind of lay down and watch TV and go to bed anyway. So like, okay, I can have some, I can choose how I want to, I'm an adult. Right. Mm -hmm. And for instance, say you're celiac, right. And you are allergic to gluten. You're not going to eat gluten because you're taking care of yourself by not eating gluten, right? But that is a very different mindset than cutting gluten out because you are desperately trying to lose weight and you hate your body, right? So we have to get back in touch with our bodies and say like, how does this make me feel? And then I get to decide because I'm in control, not the food. So it sounds like motivation can play a little bit of a part here. Like if you're choosing not to eat something because of the way it makes your body feel versus if you're choosing not to eat something because you want to just lose weight. Yeah. I'm restricting food for arbitrary diet rules or am I in tune with my body and practicing body respect because it's respectful to your body to eat in a way that feels good. Right. So yeah. And it's, you know, like so many things in life, it's the intrinsic motivation versus the external motivation. Am I cutting carbs because I want to look good in a bathing suit or am I, you know, mostly avoiding a big bowl of pasta because I want to feel good. And I know that Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel good to my body. Like I, for instance, I love crunchy, sugary, cold cereal, right? I love (laughs) a big bowl of cereal. Yeah, It destroys my gut. And I didn't learn this because when I was dieting and when you're stuck in that diet binge cycle, a lot of times digestive upset is a huge issue and we blame it on like the gluten or the dairy or whatever, but we don't really know because restriction itself messes with our guts, right? So it wasn't until I sort of healed from dieting that I was like, oh no, like I really cannot drink milk. Like I cannot have a bowl of cereal. I can but I'm going to be sprinting to the bathroom three hours later and like doubled over with cramps and like Mm. so sick. Mm -hmm. So like, I love cereal and sometimes I really want to eat it when my kids are eating it, but I'm just like, I don't really want to deal with that later. So like, I'm not going to eat it versus I used to binge on cereal at night because I'd be dieting all day and cereal wasn't allowed. And so I would binge on it and then I'd feel like shit anyway. So it's Mm -hmm. like, do you see the difference there? It's like, I'm not avoiding it because I'm not allowed to have cereal. I'm avoiding it because I want to feel good. And I know like it repeatedly has taken me down, right? So I'm just going to avoid that food because I want to feel good. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love that. And I definitely see the difference. So if you have like a new mom who's in the postpartum period, what recommendations would you make to start down that path of learning to intuitively eat, intuitively eat? I don't know if I'm saying that right, Mm -hmm. but like what steps, because I imagine, like you said, it's a long process but what steps would you kind of give them to start? Sure. So really connecting to your body and becoming an intuitive eater and working through years of body image stuff can take a really long time, but feeling like food is sort of a non-issue can happen pretty quickly. Like most of our clients who come to us binge eating don't binge after they start the program. Emotional eating drastically diminishes. So the food stuff is actually something that you can heal pretty quickly. Like Within maybe six weeks, two months, we usually see people like, okay, food. I don't really need to talk about food this week, but here's what's coming up now. It's like, wait, can we just pause? Because like you just said, food is feeling like a non-issue. So just to make that clear, because I don't, I feel like sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to start this process, but this idea that like the binging could go away very quickly, I think is what helps people get going. So I think that's empowering to know. But first of all, depending on where you are postpartum, Like maybe just give yourself a break. (laughs) Like maybe this is not the time to dive in, right? Um, But just noticing how you feel around food. Like a lot of the beginning of this process is just collecting data. We call it putting on the anthropologist hat where it's like, okay, the woman had one chip and then the woman ate the entire bag of chips, right? Like just noticing that and trying to practice non-judgment around it just to see like what's going on for you with food. But the absolute first step is to take a hard look at dieting and get honest with yourself because we have to reject this diet mentality to start. Like we have to recognize that dieting has been a huge scam (laughs) all of these decades. It's all the same shit dressed up differently. And if it were going to work, it would have worked by now. Right. So really wrapping our brains around that. And like I said, doing that diet history exercise can be really helpful So that's the first absolute step is that we just have to get to that place of diet rock bottom where like we have to find a new way to relate to food in our bodies if we're ever just going to be at peace. Like we just have to. So that's the first step. And then the second step is just to start honoring your physical hunger. Like when you get hungry, 
instead of the first instinct being, how can I make it another hour? Or how can I make sure I don't eat too much? Or, you know, um, how do I trick myself out of eating at this time? Just start to look for your hunger and honor it. The more we eat, the more full and satisfied we get, the more we relax around food, the more food is not a big deal. So we have to honor that physical hunger first. So that would be the first two steps. It would be just really getting honest that dieting is not something I want to do anymore. And then really starting to honor your physical hunger because so much of it is just hunger. Like think we're crazy about food. We think we have a binge eating problem. We think we're emotional eaters, but really we're just hungry. And we've never been told that it's okay to just eat when you're hungry. It's like a radical thing for women. Um, So that would be my first two pieces. Um, But also get support. I don't think it has to be as hard as doing it alone. Like so many women, I think there's something really important about like being seen and heard and getting support from someone who's done it. So Mm. that's an important piece of this too. Yeah. As in most areas. Yeah. Our life. Yeah. So yeah. Or is always better. We're not meant to do life alone. <laughs> like no, we're not we're meant not. to overcome these challenges alone. <laughs> right. Especially, you know, in the US, like, as you know, we're just failing our new families and leaving them oh, out to dry. It's, and It's pitiful. Yeah. It, you were talking about hunger and like honoring your hunger and eating when you're hungry. On your Instagram, you talk about the four types of hunger. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about those? Yeah. So we have primal hunger right? Like where it's just like, you're actually physically hungry, right? Physical hunger, um, which everybody I think can understand. Um, then we have emotional hunger, right? And that is where like we eat as humans, we're just naturally emotional eaters, right? Like we celebrate, we take care of each other through food, all these different things. And then we have taste hunger, which is totally valid, right? Where, um, And I think this is the one that really gets demonized, right? Like we as dieters, we think we're only supposed to eat when we're hungry. Like there's no value in eating food just because you enjoy it, right? So taste hunger is real. Like I could be hungry for lunch and really have a hankering for chips, right? But I'm not going to want to, as an intuitive eater, I know that like meeting my physical hunger with chips alone is probably not ideal right? I would have to eat so many chips to physically be full and it's probably not going to feel great, right? So how do I combine my physical hunger, having that met with my taste hunger, which is like, how can I combine eating food that I have a hankering for that's going to hit the spot with food that's going to fill me up and support me, right? So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, of course, drawing a blank on the fourth one because you asked me about it. <laughs> But yeah, it's physical, emotional taste. And the other one, yeah, I'm drawing a blank on it. Do you have it up? I'm, now I'm curious. No, it's going to drive me crazy. And it'll come to me. It'll come to me as soon as we hang up. Yeah. I swear I know what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to doubt that. <laughs> I know, but now it's going to drive me nuts, but whatever. We'll move on. Um, you said physical, emotional, practical, and taste. Practical. Yes. And that's one of my favorite ones to talk about, especially as moms. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, right? So I have to think in terms of what do I need in the house? They have to have breakfast before they go to school. I have to pack a a snack with them. Then they have to have lunch and whatever. So um, I do this as an adult to take care of my toddlers. But it is only very recently that I started actually like taking care of myself in a practical sense. Like for instance, I usually drop my kids off at school around nine. And then I usually come home and have like, my breakfast, whatever it's going to be for that day. But I knew that we were going to be sitting down at nine this morning. So my practical hunger is like, okay, maybe I'm not that hungry when I get up, but I don't want to be like losing focus and unable to concentrate when I'm on this podcast. So I'm going to eat my breakfast with my kids in the morning so that I'm prepared for that morning that I need to get through. Right. So practical hunger is like, yeah, put some stuff in your bag. Like if you have to pick your kid up at hockey practice at five o'clock and you know, you're going to be starving. Like we have to plan around our hunger from a practical sense as a Mm -hmm. form of self-care. Like we've had so many clients are like, I'm packing lunches for like my whole family, but I don't pack one for myself. And then I'm starving. And then I eat like fast food and it makes me feel terrible and whatever. So it's like, it's okay to eat when you're not hungry to take care of yourself and manage Mm -hmm. your energy and self-care throughout the day. So 
Ah, that was driving me nuts. I'm so glad that you found it (laughs) because it's so important, right? Right. And it makes sense. It's one of those things that like, if you think about it, it's like so obvious, but we Mm -hmm. can't, we can't see it because we're too stuck in the world of thinness and yes. Like we're always trying to avoid eating. Like when I was dieting, I'd be thrilled if I was out all day and couldn't get a meal. (laughs) You know, it's like, how about we take care of ourselves through, through food and plan? Like in a practical sense, we have to feed ourselves. So how can I do that in a way that's going to support my needs throughout the day. Mm-hmm. You also talk a lot on your Instagram about like body confidence and body positivity. Mm-hmm. So what tips do you have for new parents around that? Because again, they're dealing with like drastic changes in their body. They might be feeling insecure. They're bombarded by all the wrong images around them. That just makes them feel like really crappy about themselves. And I remember that too, like after my first, you know, someone in, in my family was like, oh, you're going to be able to get back into those jeans really quick now. And I remember thinking like, knife that was emoji. The first- <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the one time in my life that I hadn't thought about dieting or when I like, I was just like, I'm struggling, which is probably why. And then she said that to me. And I just remember thinking, oh yeah, I should be worrying about that too. And then mm-hmm. I like started to focus on it more. Thanks for the reminder to obsess yeah. about my body. Because I had, you know, I had gained a lot of weight. I had gained during pregnancy due to depression. Like I had gained like 90 pounds, mm-hmm. but I didn't need that thrown at me. <laughs> you know, As if you covering. weren't aware that yes. your body had changed, right? Like, like yes, I'm thanks. the one buying my clothes. Thank you. Thanks, chief. Yeah, yeah. I can't stand. And now we re- like, I realize, and this is a little bit of a tangent, just like commenting on people's bodies in any way, mm-hmm. like not okay. Even- right which I think is hard for people to wrap their brains around, like don't compliment weight loss because what you're saying is that your body smaller is better than it was larger. Right. right? And I learned that lesson the hard way where I had a, it was my friend's sister. So I didn't see her that often. And I was acquainted with her, but I didn't know, know her. And I went to her daughter's birthday party and I commented like, wow, you look great. You lost a lot of weight. And she was like, yeah, I was really sick. Thanks. And I was like, yeah. It's like, yes. you could be complimenting a cancer diagnosis. Yes. Like we just, and we've like, all done it by the way. Like yes. we're all trained to do that. It's like, I right. even have to stop myself sometimes. Right. Right. Like, because what we don't realize is like, what are these comments? What are the beliefs we're reinforcing with these comments? And mm-hmm. also like the fact that, first of all, the fact that women's bodies are up for discussion in the first place mm-hmm. should be an issue, right? Like why is like the old chiropractor I'm going to postpartum commenting that my body looks great after having a baby? Yeah, like, you creepy. think that's a compliment, but A, creepy because you're, you're an old dude and this is weird. I'm never coming back here. And two, like, so what are you saying if my body didn't look this way, right? Like- right. It's just like, or what are you thinking when you work on your patients whose bodies don't look like? Yeah. Or like why, when I went on my first diet at like 14 and was praised Mm -hmm. for the weight loss, it's like, oh, I guess my body was wrong. Mm -hmm. Now my body's good. Right. Everybody's praising me for this. So what's going to happen when I gain the weight again? More shame. Fat phobia is real. It is real. It does affect the way that you get medical treatment. It does affect the way that you can get jobs. Like the research is there and has shown that, you know, if you are someone who is obese, your medical treatment is not going to be yeah, it's like, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a social justice issue, really. And yeah, if yeah. you look at it as a form of oppression, which is what it is, it's anti-fat bias. It's weight stigma in our culture. And like that weight stigma gets internalized in all of us, regardless of our size. Mm-hmm. It's certainly a harder experience for people in larger bodies because they actually face the oppression. But we all internalize it as fat is bad, thin is good. When in mm-hmm. reality, Fat is a neutral description for a body type, just like thin or tall or brunette, right? But we see this because our culture teaches us this, that there's something wrong with being in a larger body. When in reality, body diversity is just a thing. There have always been people in larger bodies. Why do we think people can be naturally thin, but they can't naturally be fat? Why do we want to fit in our friend's jeans when we wouldn't necessarily have shame about not fitting into their shoes, right? So it's a very real thing. Right. And the science has actually shown that, you know, fat people tend to do better when they get like healthier in the long run in terms of if they get sick, they have a higher chance of survival. And Yeah, but nobody wants to talk about no, that. No, nobody right? wants to talk about that. And, and, and like- we don't talk about the fact that weight is not a behavior. Right. Right. Yeah. Like your physical fitness is an indicator of health, mm-hmm. right? But you can be physically fit in any size body. 
And you can right. be physically unfit in any size body. Right. 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 So that's the issue. And that's the issue, you know, with correlating health with weight, mm-hmm. because now we have this like moral <laughs> implication, a character implication, right. That like, um, because our culture is puts health on a, on a pedestal as well, which isn't, which is an issue in and of itself. Right. Mm-hmm. That it really comes down to some bodies are good and some bodies are bad. Right. So right. it's this system of oppression that we've all internalized. And this is, it's tangled up in our body image, right? Regardless of what size body you're in, body image comes from the fact that our beliefs, like we are deriving a disproportionate amount of our worth as a human being from what our bodies look like, right? So what we need to do to heal our body image is see ourselves as more than a body. And for women, that's difficult to do right? Because from the womb, (laughs) we're taught that being thin and beautiful and kind and accommodating is what women need to be, right? We can't be loud. We can't be angry. We can't be big, right? These are things women shouldn't be. And we all internalize that regardless of our size, regardless of what our body looks like. But, and then we go straight into um, what doctors Lindsay and Lexi Kite, who wrote this amazing book called More Than a Body, they call it the waters of of self-objectification, where we start to learn as a little girl (laughs) that we are an object to be pleasing to others versus like a human inhabiting a body, having a life experience, right? This is what we mean by, am I objectifying my body or am I in my body? Mm-hmm. Right. And women get robbed of so much life and so much joy by objectifying ourselves instead of being in our bodies. So a lot of the work Bridget and I do, like I said, the food issues can heal pretty quickly. Like you can feel normal around food pretty quickly, but the underlying body image is what's been driving. Like our weight obsession is what's been driving the dysfunction with food to begin with. So it always comes down to, oh, this was like a body image issue when we're dieting and when we're feeling out of control around food, we think we have a food issue, right? Mm -hmm. But really the food issue is just the manifestation of this internalization that our bodies are wrong, that our bodies need to look different and we have to control food in order to control our outcomes in life, right? Right. Thin equals loved, thin equals confident, thin equals worthy, thin equals resources and partners and friends and love and happiness. When in reality, we can experience all of those things in any body that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a long-winded answer, but really the body image comes down to, am I in my body? Am I connected to my body? Am I appreciating my body? Or am I objectifying my body? Am I right. viewing my body as if someone else from the outside is viewing it as an object? Right. And we should be mindful too of what we're telling our kids. What message are we sending our God, kids? Yeah. Like if they see their parents are constantly dieting. Uh, And it can be like, this is an extreme example, but I do know someone whose mother used to always say to her, whatever you do, don't let yourself go. Like don't gain Mm -hmm. weight. And she ended up turning to cocaine as an appetite Mm -hmm. suppressant because she was so afraid to gain weight because all her mother would do. And then her mother would like make fun of like heavier people around her and stuff like that. That's so common. That's why so many of our clients are mothers, mothers Mm -hmm. of young kids. And I think I'm hoping our generation, I'm 39, I don't know how old you are, but I'm hoping our generation is going to be the one that break this cycle because the caregivers around us, like their relationship with food and body is going to have the biggest impact on us. Media is always going to be there. Social media is going to be there. Diet culture is going to be there. But if those messages and beliefs aren't being reinforced at home, we're going to have a much better shot at clearing, <laughs> clearing through adolescence without food issues. And it's so common. Like when my business partner, Bridget, was in a little girl, she was forced to run on the treadmill before school. Like we've had clients tell us mothers brought their daughters to Weight Watchers at eight years old. And this has a huge impact, but we can change it. But the best way to protect your kid from food and body image issues is to heal your own, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you're confident and at peace with food and have a joyful relationship with food and movement, and you're not talking about other people's bodies, you're not making comments about worth and bodies your kid's not going to pick up on that and your kid's not going to believe it, right? And you can have open conversations about media that you're exposed to and talk about these things. But if you're ripping your own body apart in the mirror, if you're calling yourself fat as an insult in a bathing suit in front of your little girl, 
if you're weighing your food at a restaurant in front of a little girl or, and I mean, it affects boys too, but I'm comfortable saying it disproportionately affects women and girls, right? They're going to pick up on that. They're going to learn that that's the truth. And we don't have to pass that down, but healing your own stuff is really the most important thing. Yeah. It's definitely seems like a form of trauma when you're absolutely yourself, like you're dieting is a form of trauma. It's this prolonged, deeply stressful situation that you're in. Right. And just like any form of trauma, you have to heal yourself so you don't keep passing it down Yep, and down and down through the generations. Yep. Mm -hmm. What is one thing that you would say or want a parent to know who is struggling with body image and dieting culture, just kind of like drowning in it? That you don't have to, right? That it has never been about your body. It's been about the stories and beliefs you hold about your body. Mm-hmm. And that should feel empowering because those are the things we can change. We can't necessarily, like if we were under conscious control of our weight, would any of us be dieting? <laughs> like we, it just wouldn't be a thing. Like if human beings were consciously in control of our weight, this wouldn't be an issue, but that's mm-hmm. not the truth, right? This is the grand illusion we're all living under, mm-hmm. right? But what we can control is how we take care of our bodies. We can control how we speak to ourselves. We can control the beliefs that we hold about bodies and worth and health and weight and all of these tangled things. I call it like, you know, when you get a a little chain necklace really tangled up and you have to like really work at it to like pull at all the knots and get it smooth again. That's kind of how I envision healing your relationship with food and your body. But it doesn't have to be like this. Like if you're binging, if you're emotional eating, if you're feeling exhausted and crazy around food, you can heal this. And so many women are doing it. Like our whole generation is waking up to this. And intuitive eating is a really great framework to help you heal um, because it really gives you like step-by-step guidance to feel normal around food again and to move on and just take care of yourself and not stress about food anymore. And you get Mm -hmm. your life back. Like you literally get your life back. So just that there's hope. So many women are doing it. There's a proven research back process in which to do it and it can heal quickly. And you have so many resources to help women do yeah. this and heal their trauma around this. Yeah. Um, I was looking at your website. You have free guides. You have, I believe, two free classes. Am I right? Yeah, we have all the okay. stuff. We have all the stuff. I mean, wellnesslately.com is where you can find everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are feeling crazy and out of control around food, if you're binging, if you're emotional eating, if you are so tired in your bones of dieting, <laughs> wellnesslightly.com slash masterclass is the best place to start. It's a free class that I actually teach and it's uh, five shifts to end binge eating, but it's also for emotional eating or just the diet binge cycle or any of the Mm -hmm. things, um, any of the emotionally charged food stuff. So wellnesslightly.com slash masterclass. And that's where most of our clients kick off. It's like, here's how to start. Here's what's going on. Here's how you're probably feeling. And here are your first steps to start to get past this. Um, so that's wellnesslately.com slash masterclass. And then we also have the Facebook group you just joined. You can just search Wellness Lately on Facebook. And we also have our podcast, just Wellness Lately podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Yeah. So that's where you can find us. And you're Wellness Lately on Instagram as well. Right? Yes. Okay. So we will link to all of those in the show notes so people yeah, can connect thank you. with you because I for sure am definitely going to take your classes. Yeah. Come join you. us. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. I love your background, by the way. (laughs) Oh, you like Ruth? Um, Oh, yeah. I have a tattoo, actually, of her collar. I love it. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, devastating. Um, Yeah, I have Ruth and my maternal grandmother and then all of the the anti-diet and heal your relationship with food and body Mm -hmm. image books. So thank you. I saw that you make book recommendations on your Instagram too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many great books, so many, so many great people doing this work. And honestly, like the women in our community, just the smartest, funniest, most lovely people. Everyone is so supportive. There's a really important piece about women coming together to heal from this. Like we Mm -hmm. we kicked off talking about the patriarchy and, uh, you know, it really is. It's like, being seen and heard, being surrounded by other women fighting for the same freedom around food that you are um, is really powerful. I think it's an important piece and it's something mm-hmm. we're really proud of in our community, just how many awesome people have joined us. So love it. It's amazing. Yeah. And thank you so much for talking to us today. I think you yeah. are doing some great work, much needed work. And I'm hoping by the time you know, my girls are grown and having their own kids that the shift has been made at least more than it has so far. 
but yeah, it starts with each of us. It's starting. Absolutely. (laughs) I believe that. I never know because we're in our little echo chamber, you know, uh, our little slice of the internet where all of our colleagues are talking about it. But I do think there's a shift. I think women are just waking up to the fact that we've been duped and that we don't Mm -hmm. have to live like this and that like life is too short to count your almonds and to be weighing food at a restaurant, right? And we do want better for our kids right? We want the next generation not to have to deal with this because they're going to have to deal with a lot, a lot yes. bigger problems, right? <laughs> We're already so, handing them enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great to chat with you this morning. It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media, at Shelly Taft IBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.